Welcome to the Saturday Seal of God Ministries, or Double S-O-G-M, a podcast and community aiming to connect the times and events of today to Bible prophecy to make better sense of what is happening to us and around us. As we are all free-willed individuals, we aim to be a community of critical thinkers who do not blindly follow the world and its mainstream narrative, who do not blindly perpetuate and regurgitate what is quote popular, but we aim to be individuals firm in biblically sound ideas, decisions, and convictions who will not allow the world or individuals to intimidate, bully, coerce, or sway us from sound logic, from what we believe to be possible or from what we believe to be the truth. In this space, we take the time and put in the work to research and to think independently with a biblical lens. It is Monday, the 25th day of October, and the year is 2021. My name is Carlette McKenzie, and I am so glad that you have chosen to tune in and give a listen. Today's episode will essentially be a review of Earth's formation, a review of who our adversary is, and we'll look at the days of Noah and compare them to the days of today. We will review some of the prophecies that have been fulfilled thus far, and we'll review ones still outstanding. Let us open up with a word of prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for this day, and thank you for waking us all up this morning. Please open our minds and our hearts and grant us discernment of the message being presented today. We love you, and we thank you for all that you do. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, there are seven topics that we will cover today in this episode, and they are as follows. Number one, who is the enemy? Number two, why was he cast out of heaven? Number three, creation review. Number four, his ultimate desires, colon, why the devil hates man. Number five, a look at Satan throughout history. Number six, a comparison of the days of Noah to the days of today. Number seven, a look at prophecies. So who is the enemy? They say to defeat the enemy, you must know the enemy. Well, who does God tell us our adversary is? Lucifer, also called Satan, or often called the devil. 1 Peter 5, 8 reads, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So we know that he is out here on earth, just drifting and roaming, looking for someone to destroy. Satan, of course, was not always evil. Lucifer, meaning light bringer, was the anointed cherub. Lucifer would cover the Ark of the Testimony, which lay the law of God. Essentially, his main job in heaven was to protect God's law. And I say, what an honorable assignment. Lucifer was the highest order of the angels, but Christ was above them all. Lucifer was glorious, righteous, and had full access to God's presence. Lucifer was also full of wisdom and extraordinarily beautiful. So if he was full of light and made perfect, what happened? Ezekiel 28, 16 reads, By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Satan was essentially cast out of heaven because of his selfish pride. He thought too highly of himself and wanted to be an equal like Jesus. 
He did not like how God exalted Christ above him as he thought he should be like God too. Now imagine this picture thousands of years ago. There is complete harmony and order in heaven, and all is peachy and well. The angels are law-abiding, and there is complete perfection. As previously mentioned, Christ was above all of the heavenly host, and Christ had a spirit of loving authority, to which his commands were almost not even commands, as the heavenly host delighted with joy to execute. God begins having private meetings where he invites Christ, by which they discuss the plans to make earth and man. Lucifer notices, and jealousy begins to manifest in his heart. That desire to be an equal to Jesus was totally unfounded because Jesus was the Son of God and existed well before the angels were even created. It is important to note that angels, being created beings, are afforded the same gift of free will as we are. God does not create robots. So to me, the remaining angels in heaven gives hope and demonstrates that perfection in obeying God's law is possible. Now imagine, in heaven, Lucifer, moment by moment, is allowing his jealous spirit to fester, by which he then voices his feelings to the other angels. Now follow me closely. We know that God is God and all-powerful. There is no one above him, for he is the beginning and the end. It is hard to understand and fathom, but God just is. So God's law just is and the obeying of his law is necessary for eternal life, as God himself is eternal. Speaking to the angels, Lucifer begins to insinuate that God's law is not necessary for heavenly beings to obey, as the laws are more suitable for the coming inhabitants of the new world. He argued that angels, being more exalted, needed no restraints. So Lucifer sought to gain control of heavenly beings under the false narrative that God desired, quote, self-exaltation. As we previously mentioned, God just is, which means that his law just is. There is no self-exaltation, and let's explore some definitions. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines self-exaltation as exaltation of oneself, colon, or vainglory. Just before we get to the definition of vainglory, Let's look at the definition of the word ostentatious, which means attracting or seeking to attract attention, admiration, or envy, often by gaudiness or obviousness. It also means overly elaborate or conspicuous. So essentially, the definition of ostentatious is attracting or seeking to attract a vain and unnecessary show, especially for the purpose of attracting attention admiration, or envy. And they define the definition of vainglory as excessive or ostentatious pride, especially in one's achievements. Now that is not at all the nature of our God. Lucifer was beyond reaching with his accusations that our Lord is self-exalting. I like how Professor Greg Kalkel puts it in an article entitled, Is God Vain? He says, quote, it's not vanity to expect praise for praiseworthy acts. In other words, praise goes naturally with merit. Vanity is excessive pride, not appropriate pride in one's accomplishments. If one displays merit of some sort, in a deed, in a design, in a desire, well then praise commensurate 
with the particular merit seems to fit. So praise is appropriate where it fits the merit. Now here is something to think about. When you think about it, virtually everything that we think is worthy of praise of ourselves in ourselves is actually derivative. In other words, it resides in us, we possess it, but it really came from somewhere else. Good looks, native intelligence, opportunities for education, social advancement. These are things almost entirely accidents of birth or circumstance." End quote. Because God gives all of his creations free will, Satan decided to sin on his own as those thoughts and feelings he began having emerged from within his own heart. He was already perfect, but he wanted more. He was self-deceived about his wisdom and his beauty, which originated from God. He was not eternal, but had the same limitations as us. He is totally dependent upon God for his existence and purpose. The devil wanted praise, and then mankind's authority, no matter what consequence it brought to mankind. He was so self-focused. He wanted what he wanted and didn't give a care about those who had to suffer because of it. So after it was clear that Lucifer and the deceived angels would not confess their sins and repent, Lucifer and one-third of the angels were cast out of heaven by God, by which he began to be known as Satan or the devil. Those angels are now his helpers of evil on this earth. Also known as fallen angels or demons, they have their fate sealed in the lake of fire. Revelation 20.10 says, quote, The devil, who deceived them, was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophets are, and they will be tormented day and night, forever and ever." End quote. Because of their rebellion against the Almighty God, they await their fate of eternal doom. They know of this ending and shudder. They wreak havoc and cause division. Because they know of their eternal fate due to their rebellion, they will try to drag down as many souls as possible with them. This means they will influence, tempt, persuade, coerce, and even possess non-believers to sway them away from coming to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. Now we will review creation and Satan's ultimate desires. In the beginning, God created. On day one, God separated light from darkness. On day two, God separated the waters above from the waters below. On day three, God gathered the seed together and caused dry land to appear. He caused seed-bearing vegetation to appear too. On day four, he made the sun and the moon. On day five, God created the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. And on day six, God created the land creatures. And most importantly, he came down and created mankind. God performed and completed all of his work in the first six days, whereby on the seventh day, the Sabbath day, he rested and hollowed and sanctified that day. Now, side note, I had always wondered why sin was introduced only after Adam ate of the fruit and not that of Eve, who actually was the first to eat. I like the way that GodQuestions.com puts it, quote, there are several reasons why Adam is to blame for the fall of humanity. Adam was created first, 
and his wife was created to be, quote, a suitable helper. God held Adam responsible for his family, as seen in the fact that God sought out Adam specifically. Also in his conversation with Adam and Eve, God questioned Adam first, even though Eve sinned before Adam. Adam, as a leader of the family, was held responsible for what happened in his family. Also, the original command to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was given to Adam before Eve was created. Eve knew of the restriction. Adam had obviously informed her, but it was Adam who heard it straight from God's mouth. In 1 Timothy 2.14, Paul makes a subtle distinction between the sin of Adam from the sin of Eve. Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. Eve fell into the sin because of deception. However, Adam was not deceived, which means he chose to sin. When Adam took the fruit from his wife, he knew full well what he was doing. He was not misinformed and misled. He simply decided to rebel against God's command. He chose to listen to his wife instead of God. Adam represented mankind and because of his clear sin, the perfect relationship between God and man was broken and mankind became cursed. Now another side note, it is my understanding that the devil cannot read our minds as he is a created being. Biblestudy.org says, quote, the devil does not know our innermost thoughts, otherwise he would not have wasted his energy trying to tempt Job, or even Jesus when he was a flesh and blood human." End quote. Instead, Satan observes what we verbally say, our actions, our mannerisms, and our behaviors to try to set us up to fall. We must be careful about what we say as our tongue is very powerful. I also think about dreams and why they can sometimes be very powerful in telling as only the subconscious and God may influence them. I believe that too is why it is important to guard our minds and our hearts because what we are exposed to or expose ourselves to has the potential to resonate and manifest itself, be it consciously or subconsciously, in our lives. In Proverbs 4, 23 to 25, it says, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put perverse lips far from you. Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you." End quote. So we know the devil is amongst us in this world. So what are his ultimate desires? There are three and they are as follows. Number one, he wants to steal mankind's God-given authority over this earth. Number two, he wants to kill and destroy as many humans as he possibly can. And lastly, number three, he wants to receive worldwide worship from God's own creations. Now moving to topic number five, Satan throughout history slash Satan in the Bible. At almost any and every point, Satan's presence is very clear when one reviews history. We see the evidence of sin and the works by his hand all around. I understand that it is ultimately our own sinful nature that is the true cause of sin. However, it originated from Satan instigating. Our sinful nature is the cause of a broken relationship with a holy God. Satan will instigate by tempting, by which he only has the power that we give to him. 
There are plenty of stories in the Bible where we can see him and his troops working in inaction to cause harm, confusion, tyranny, suffering, death, and etc. I'll briefly go over a few of them. The first being Cain, who killed his brother simply because God favored Abel's sacrifice over his. Then to the conspiracy of Haman to wipe out an entire nation just because Mordecai the Jew refused to bow to him. Then to the evil nature of Jezebel and King Ahab, to Abimelech murdering 70 of his brothers out of pure selfishness, to the Pharaoh of Egypt repeatedly challenging God's authority, and on and on and on. Those individuals submitted to temptation and submitted to the evil and wholeheartedly followed through on their evil attempts and intentions. It seems to me that in this modern age that we have gotten too comfortable. It seems to me that we are not as knowledgeable and as on guard as we should be about the modern things around us. I see that many professed Christians are ignorant of God's word, as I was, and do not take the time to research and study. So when they are presented with something that is inherently occult or evil, they may be deceived and destroyed for lack of knowledge. Many Christians have not armed themselves with the word, and it is not a lamp unto their feet or a light unto their path. It is all but too easy in these modern times to get lazy and complacent with reading and studying God's word. It may feel sometimes that things are good or going well, when in fact, the devil is moving in a stealthy way. You may indirectly or unknowingly be participating in occult things and or be subjecting yourself to evil and modern occult practices. You may also unknowingly be following or participating in false interpretations of the Bible or in ideas or methodologies that are opposite of what is written. We must recognize that Satan and his demon workers are alive and well working on this earth. Actually, within the last few hundred years, they have been working overtime because they know that their time is almost up. Let us remember that evil exists and is all around us. If you cannot or do not see the sheer evil and sinfulness of this world, I implore you to study your Bible, humble yourself and arm yourself with the word and your eyes will be opened. Now moving to topic number six, we shall go over the days of Noah and compare. So Matthew 24 gives us a clear list of things that occurred during Noah's day that would also appear towards the end. In Noah's day, they saw nations rising against nations. We see that. They saw famines. We see that. They saw pestilences, diseases, viruses. Well, we definitely see that. They saw earthquakes and natural disasters. We see that. They saw betrayal and hatred. We see that. They saw false prophets. We see that. They saw lawlessness. We definitely see that. And the love of many grew cold. And we also see that. So in Matthew 24, God tells us that the days of the end will be like the days of Noah. If you notice, the exact same things are occurring and then some. So now let's fast forward to the 1260 year prophecy being fulfilled. So we understand that Jesus has already come and resurrected and that we are living in the last days as of Noah. What we also must understand is that in Revelation 13, the Bible speaks of a beast rising up out of the sea. That beast is the Roman Catholic Church. 
Now let me interject by saying I am in no way attempting to attack individual Catholic members, but I must be truthful that the institution and the administration of the Catholic Church does have a major role to play in fulfilling prophecy, and it cannot be glossed over, minimized, or ignored. So YouTuber Mark Fox under the YouTube channel Amazing Prophecies clearly breaks this down. So in 1798 AD, prophecy was fulfilled because from 538 AD to 1798 AD, the Catholic Church was the supreme ruler of the land. From 538 AD to 1798 AD is approximately 1260 years. In 1798 AD, the Catholic Church took a fatal blow, temporarily, and during that time is when their Pope Pius VI was taken captive and removed from Rome by Napoleon's Chief of Staff slash General Berthier. During that time in history, the Catholic Church lost its power and was no longer the supreme of the world. Interestingly, around that same time that they took the fatal blow, America, the beast from the earth, was being formed and created. During the late 1800s, the Catholics regrouped and were on their quest of gaining back their power. Now we should actively take the time to really think about man-made religion and break it down. I actually think it is a tool that the devil has used for thousands of years to cause confusion and division. Divide and conquer man has been his main strategy. Many religions are based upon tradition. With all religions, we should be able to judge it against the Bible. Many religions are then exposed for altering meanings, messages, and God's actual word. Every word in the Bible is God-inspired, and if a religion changes his word, then that religion is false and inaccurate, point blank. Everyone knows that there will be people saved from all religions, and that is because those who truly did not know the truth of his law and the true Saturday Sabbath worship, his grace and mercy will potentially kick in. But for those who knew the truth and chose not to obey, they will be held accountable for their decision. Some people say that Sabbath keepers like to focus on that one commandment and place great emphasis upon it, almost to where Sabbath keepers use it as a point to exalt one's religion over another. Well, as we reviewed thus far in this episode, we have identified that the great spiritual controversy here on this earth is over worship and over allegiance. And I say, if in the beginning, God rested on the seventh day, he wrote using his literal finger the fourth commandment about the seventh day, and even Jesus kept the Sabbath in his day, then what about that is unclear. He clearly instructed and set the great example of Sabbath keeping. I do not wish to offend anyone, so if you can show me in scripture where God indicated that the Holy Sabbath was moved to the first day, please inform and correct me. So in closing, what makes today unlike any other point in history? Throughout all of Earth's some 6,000 year age, today is unlike any other time ever because we are living during the time of various prophecies having been fulfilled, along with signs and favorable conditions for the institutions of the last prophecies to be fulfilled. So we shall go over three prophecies that have already been fulfilled, which is number one, the multiple and various prophecies of Jesus Christ's birth and death. As we know, that was fulfilled as he came to die and paid the price for our salvation some 2,000 years ago. 
and the second being in Matthew 24 where it tells us that the last days will be like the days of Noah, which we know to be true today. And the third being the 1260 year prophecy in Revelation 13 of the beast having a fatal wound was fulfilled in 1798 AD, as we understand it to be the Roman Catholic Church losing its power and status as the supremacy of the world. Now I'll go over three things that are interesting that are occurring during today. Now in today's day, we live during a time in which Matthew 24 verse 14 can actually happen in our lifetime due to the internet. Matthew 24 verse 14 says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. So the Bible says that Christ will not come back until everybody in the world has heard about him. Well, what's one thing in this world that everybody has heard about? COVID-19. And I know my God is great, and if everybody in the world can hear about COVID-19, how much longer do we think before everybody has heard of Jesus' name? Secondly, in today's day, the world has recently been declared a, quote, cold red for humanity due to climate change. And lastly, something interesting to point out, the current president of the United States, who is Joseph Biden, is an active and open Catholic, as well as 30% or one-third of Congress being Catholic as well. Fun fact, out of the 46 presidents since the inauguration of George Washington in 1789, Joe Biden recently made history as the second Catholic president, the first being John F. Kennedy. So that is as far as I will go in this episode about prophecy about the Catholic Church. In the next episode, I will cover the topics of Sunday and Saturday worship more in detail. We will also go over what, quote, code red for humanity and what the climate change debate may mean for the next prophecy to be fulfilled. You can look for episode two to be released on the morning of this coming Friday, October 29th. Now, just before closing prayer, I want to note that I did not highlight these things to insinuate that Christ's return is happening next week or even next year. We know not the day. However, we are living in interesting times and I do believe as believers, we should take note and keep our eyes and ears peeled. And on that note, I shall leave. God bless and stay tuned. And now for closing prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for waking us all up this morning. Lord, please help us to get through this week safely. Lord, please allow these words and messages to marinate in our hearts. And in your name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Saturday Seal of God Ministries podcast. We look forward to your prayers, support, and participation. If you do nothing else, please share this link and podcast with others so that the information can spread. Please email us at ssogministries at tuda.io for any inquiries, comments, concerns, criticisms, and or suggestions. Please note that in this podcast description, you will find a link to the document with all sources cited in this podcast episode. Please note that there is not yet a podcast video available for this episode, but we are working on them. Lastly, again please share with loved ones, friends, church family, anyone. May God bless you and keep you until we meet again.